When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You've said previously that the place in the world in which you're most happy is the woods. Do you remember the last time you were in the woods? Well, I kind of live in the woods now. So I kind of manifested that, man. If you look outside, I mean, I know the listeners won't be able to see this, but outside, I'm pretty much in the middle of the woods. I'm kind of surrounded by nature and trees. And... So, yeah, I guess the last time I was there was right now. And it's, um, I live right by Highgate Woods, basically. It's a nice area. And um, I've never lived anywhere like this. So it's been a trip man uh, I, I really enjoy it and i think as well like you know running water like the ocean waterfalls stuff like that you know I've, I've always been a big sort of um outdoorsy type of guy being in the woods i don't know why man some of my favorite music reminds me of the woods is it different creatively now then have you kind of noticed your creativity changed and that you're surrounded by all this nature and all and all these trees not yet not yet i've noticed that my mood has got better it takes a while for sort of um, locations to sort of impact you if you're living there. It takes a while. Uh, it doesn't just happen straight away. I think it's kind of influencing me to um, be more alone and be a bit more uh, sort of, I mean, I, I don't have any real friends that live around here. You know, not, not many of my mates live around here. And I'm sort of here alone. I'm not sharing a room with anyone. I'm definitely writing more stuff down and, and kind of going more in depth to myself. Yeah. Less distractions to have either on your own, there's kind of less people kicking about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's your relationship like with distractions? How do you find them? I'm terrible with them. I'm absolutely terrible with them. I think it depends. Like, if I wake up and I'm in a really good mood, which is quite rare, like, I'm all right. I'll, 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 I'll deal with it for the day. But fucking hell, man. Like, Instagram, Twitter, all that shit. I'm just, it just makes me so depressed, dude. But like I'm just on my phone twenty four seven when I'm when I'm like not having a, when I haven't got up and done what I needed to do. Like today, for example, I got up really early. I just um, I felt a bit like anxious and I didn't want to have a co- I didn't want to start my morning routine, which is like coffee, cigarette, meditation, and then um, I go for a run. I didn't want to do that because it, it, I felt a bit like it's too early. It's fucking I feel a bit sick because of how early it was. I ended up just picking up my phone. And then just started scrolling. It's four o'clock now and I only just got out of bed. You get sucked into it as well. Can I just reel you in? I, got, I get sucked in. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's so annoying. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel you though. I know what you mean. Like, it's, it's weird that like, the effect of time is like your perception of time and the way that kind of just slides by when you're on it. Like before you know it, you feel like you just pick it up and then you're on for an hour, you're on for two hours and it just reels you in. Have you watched The Social Media Dilemma? Nah, that's one on Netflix, on Netflix, right? No, I've not watched it. Is it worth a watch? Yeah, it basically convinces you that your phone is going to start like a world war, that we're all going to die really soon because of social media. So um, if you want to scare yourself shitless, then yeah, definitely watch that. 
I watched that. I was like, fuck, like I, I spent too much time on my phone. Like, what am I doing? And then, and now I'm like, I'm, it's like a week later and I'm, I'm, I'm back to my same pattern again. It just reels you back in. It's unreal. I don't know how, it's the, it's the best designed thing ever made to mess with your mind. It's, it's incredible. So they knew that when they were making it. That way, you know, when you're on Twitter and you give a click or you refresh and it gives you that dopamine hit. Yeah, I, get, I, I can feel that happen. I think the longer that you've had a social media account, the more experience you have with it. So you become more conscious about how you feel with it after a while. And I remember the day, I think we were part of the last generation to experience life before Facebook and also grow up with it at the same time. So like my sister who's 14, she's just grown up with it her whole life. Well, she's 15 now. But me, 22, you know, I'm eight years older than her. And I, I had like, my childhood had no social media. But then when I hit my teens was when social media started blowing up. So like when I was 11, my stepmom made me a Facebook account and I was just hooked from then. So I, I kind of guess I got to experience the sort of the difference between old school living without any internet sort of profiles and also then having that complete opposite growing up. So now I'm just in a space of like, I don't really know how to view it because I need it for my work and I need it to promote my music. That's how I'm going to build a fan base is through social media and through releasing music and through YouTube. And I'm obsessed with YouTube. I watch YouTube 24 seven and I'm obsessed with social media. I watch social media 24 seven. And it also really inhibits like me writing songs. It really inhibits my day-to-day process, especially when if, if I don't have anything on during the day, if I don't have a meeting in the morning or if I don't have to be somewhere, I'm just going to be scrolling. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I could say to myself, I'm going to go for a run in the morning and stuff like that. And, and most days I will, but there's some days where I, like today where I just, I just do fuck all and it's really annoying. And I wish I'd just read a book instead, but my phone will buzz. And then I'm like, oh God. And then I go on my phone to turn off my buzzer and then I'm hooked in again. And it's just, it's unreal. It's unreal. Have you ever gone to a period of like cutting it off completely? Have you ever tried that? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't do it. No, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. You? Yeah, I did it in lockdown for a week. Just cut the phone off completely. Does it help? Yeah, I feel like it had a positive impact afterwards. Like when I went back to it after that week, I feel like I went up less as a result of that after I took that break and you kind of just realise how much you're on it and but you can still feel it's kind of hold, it's kind of pull on you. You know, when it buzzes in your pocket or it buzzes in the desk and you kind of get that urge to yeah to go and have a scroll. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I had it when um, when I went into treatment, they took my phone off me for uh, maybe two weeks. But I had a little buzzer phone. I had a little burner phone. So I was using that um, to contact family and, and, and maybe one or two friends. But other than that, it was pretty much, um, I didn't have any social media access. But then I'd find myself asking my mate, it was in the same house as me to use his phone to log on. So I guess I didn't really have that sort of total abstinence from it. I mean, I don't have a phone that works. That's my one thing which I've done. I've, uh, I, I've, I've actively decided not to pay my phone bill so that I don't have any 4G when I go out. And that kind of keeps me disconnected from social media in that respect. But then that also, like, if I get into an emergency, I'm fucked, basically. Yeah, that, that is the one downside. I mean, I know you're saying that it kind of inhibits your creativity. So it was like the last time you managed to get into a headspace where you were completely free of it. It didn't have a pull on you and you were like completely free-flowing in that creative space and able to just be free and be liberated. It kind of, it happens on a weekly basis whenever I write a song or if I'm creating, doing something um, that I'm proud of. I won't look at my phone. I, I won't. It just happens. It's, it's an energy that you connect to and, and you don't feel the need to look at your phone. So that's, that's sort of my escape from it, um, is writing songs being an artist to a certain extent i guess it's um two times three times every two weeks at the moment um it also doesn't help when you're sort of living alone and you're quite alone with your feelings and you know they talk about it in this documentary saying that it's like a it's like a pacifier it's like a dummy when you give a child a dummy if you have any anxious feelings or you're feeling bad you just go on your phone and you feel better but then afterwards when you need when you realize that two hours have gone you're like what am i doing like so it doesn't really get rid of, or it doesn't really help those feelings. Doesn't, you don't work through those feelings. There's a, there's a whole new generation of kids that are, going, that are growing up with this and, and, and it's going to create a load of new problems. Yeah, because they're not dealing with anything. They're just delaying it. Yeah, yeah, completely. Music's the complete opposite of that, though, really, isn't it? I mean, it's something that kind of forces you to work through your problems and understand them and it kind of shines light on yourself and reflects things. Forces you to work through everything that you're going through. 
Yeah, completely. That's, I think that's why I do it. It sort of balances out all the other stuff. It, it, it balances stuff out. Do you remember when you discovered like, the power it had in that way? The way it could force you to work through things and help you work through things? Yeah. I, I wrote a song called Skinny. And when I wrote Skinny, it was like the day my my, uh, my mum's dad, my granddad died. I watched like the Supersonic Oasis documentary and, and I, I, like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't drinking that day. I wasn't doing any drugs. And I was just like, I felt really good. And I just went to the studio. I wrote Skinny. And um, it kind of took me away from all the stuff that was going on at that moment. I wrote that song in like 20 minutes. And it was just like me on a guitar, sort of trying to pretend to be Liam Gallagher. It just took me away from all those feelings. And it was really, 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 really cool. And I remember just feeling ec- ecstatic, like I, like I was on ecstasy or something. It was, it was insane. And um, I get that sometimes with some songs. I, I, I still do. I get that with a lot of songs I write. It's, 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 it's an awesome feeling. It's great. Um, so that completely takes me away from all of that and it helps me like really face stuff and, and write about it. When did you write that something? Because it only came out like a few months back. I wrote that when I was 17 or 18. So it's, a, it's an old song, but I just, I reworked it. I went back to it when I was um, 21 and, and, and reworked it and uh, did a whole new production on it. It originally sounded like a Stone Roses song and I wanted to make it sound a bit more Kid Brunswick, a bit more like my sound. Well, it's got that massive beat in it because you have you know, that soft kind of subdued vocal and then the beat comes in and kind of batters you about. Yeah, it's, yeah. I was really inspired by a, a song called Born Slippy by Underworld and how it has just this chanting vocal. You might know it because Trainspotting. Yeah. yeah, it's like a, a cult classic in, in Scotland. I was obsessed with that song and I just loved how it was almost like a chant. I just wanted to write something like that. So that's what I did with Skinny. I just kind of had this idea of just having this repetitive, repetitive vocal, this monotonous vocal, just kind of going out throughout the song only a tiny tiny maybe melody changes throughout the whole song but just keeping it like one sort of um tone throughout the whole thing so that's an old song it's a really old song but that was sort of like the starting point that's where i kind of found my sound with skinny um that was sort of like where i wanted to go it was like i wanted to create a new sort of wave of rock music that was the song that helped me find that you know when you took that song and and you reworked it and you put the new production on it how did that impact that the emotional feeling you got from it when you play it or when you listen to it? Gave it a new energy. I mean, I mean, because it was like, that was like the first one where I felt proud of my, like my music that I'd released. Like, I don't like any of my old music. I'm, I'm wiping all my old music or Spotify and Apple music. I'm going to leave it up on SoundCloud and, and, and YouTube. But the only songs I'm going to have on there will be Skinny, Prescription Kid, 4am. And then my new song, which is coming out soon. Because with Skinny, it, it's, it's, um, because it's such an old song, I even feel like I want to do a new version of it now. It's really similar, but I just want to boost it to make it sound like Prescription Kid, to make it knock as hard as that. So it, it just gave the song new energy, but I'm, even now I'm like, I want to give it another new energy. Because I still feel like it's, it's 95% there, and it could, be, it could be better. And I feel, like that, I feel like that with some songs, but I don't feel like that with my new songs. I don't, because I feel like they're, they're ready and they're, and they're done. But with Skinny, I'm like, such a cool song. I, I really want to go back on that like I did like I did before but I won't just do it again because I'm at a different level now I, I, I'm, I'm much better at producing my own music now do you still make beats for other people as well I do sometimes but at the moment I'm just um, I'm just working on my stuff I'm trying to figure out once I get all these songs out these singles which I've written over the last year or so and they're fucking they're so cool they're so good they're really really good songs I'm really building a sort of um, a brand of what my music is going to be once these songs are out um, I'm going to figure out a sort of like a concept for where I want to go with this project and, and, and write an album. That's my next sort of pit stop. Do you have quite a clear idea of what it is that kind of defines your parameters at the moment? Or is that what you're speaking about? Is that what you kind of want to firm up a wee bit more? Yeah, I think it, it needs... Um, I think the thing which, which I do, which is slightly different to my friends that make music, is I'll take a sound or I'll take a guitar hook and I'll distort it and then I'll reverse it and then I'll put it back into a different pitch and then I'll make it sound even weirder and weirder until it becomes this whole unique thing. It doesn't just happen with one guitar chord or, or, or like a simple four chord structure. It, it takes a while to create my songs. Like with Skinny, it took that, you know, three years to get it to sound like that. So, it, and, it, and it, it can sound a lot more simple than what it actually is because there's always layers underneath it. It's like a painting where you'll have like four different layers underneath it that you can't even see, but it builds this whole sort of picture. And I think that's what my music does it, because I just keep basically fucking up the sounds until they're like inaudible and then I make them sound cool again. I don't really know why I do that, but it just feels natural and then it ends up becoming cooler. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the process. It's 
part of what you need to do to get to that that final point. I love the analogy you just used about the painting and the and you know the many layers to it and the hidden layers. Does the initial spark which sets off us on the initial beat is that ever completely vanished and hidden by the time you get to the the final product? Does the song ever completely change throughout the process? So what you had at the beginning is entirely unrecognizable at the, the end. Yeah, completely. Yeah, the entire thing will change because I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll be I'll be working on the song and it will feel really good and then and then I'll I'll make a sound or something and then I'll be like oh my God, that's something I need to go with with the song. Like I need to take it to a completely different place. I need to run with it. A lot of songs have ended up like that. Prescription Kid was one of those. Prescription Kid was, was one where it just ended up sounding so much better. 4AM as well. 4AM was a different song before. It didn't really have the cigarettes and sex hook at all. That just came when I was finishing the that's song. Kind of the biggest part of that song as well. Though. I mean, that's what drives it. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it just it just it just happens naturally, and it takes time. There's a lot of artists like that I love, like Travis Scott, who finishes his records. Like he finished Astro World before, like two weeks before it was released. They were still making changes to it afterwards, so they'd have to like they uploaded different audio, different audio files of the same song on Spotify once it had been released. They like they updated like verses and stuff. And it's like Kanye as well, you know, oh, tweaking albums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because it was just always like this. It's like this evolution. And this like process is it's just ongoing. With me, it, it, it's not a sort of thing where it will just happen in in two weeks and then, and then it's done. It's like I will revisit it at some point, maybe in six months or seven months time down the line before it's released, and I and then I'll finish it like a week before it comes out with a whole new energy to it. Is part of that energy, you know, a result of that deadline and the idea that you have to have it finished and submitted by this point? Is that part of what's you know feeling that period of intense change and evolution within the song? Yeah. I work best when I'm under pressure. So if I have like a deadline to meet or something, you know, I'll, I'll end up creating something as long as I'm with someone else as well for the final moments of that song being made, which is normally Jake who doesn't want music with me. You know, it will end up sounding better. It will end up sounding more, more like me, more chaotic and new and stuff. Because I think when you have pressure pushing down on me, pushing down on you, you, um, you probably have this inkling to be like, there's almost a feeling of just when you have such a strict deadline to me, normally the first move that you make is the one that will be definite. And that first move is normally the most honest one. So you don't have time to go back and redo it and redo it and redo it. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just an ongoing process. It's just an ongoing process. You know, at the moment, you know, I'm not a big artist at all. So I have a lot of time on my hands. I'm starting to realize that like, my stuff takes a long time as well because I, I do struggle on a day-to-day basis, just, just in life, you know? I think it takes me a while to sometimes get out of those funks, those depressive episodes. And, and like, I'm in one right now and it's, 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 it's a bit annoying, but, you know, I, I know that it will pass, that this feeling will pass. As long as I can do, like, little things during the day, I think I am, I'll be okay. Like, as long as I go for a run and just force myself to do a run, I know that I'll be able to get some work done in some stage. Like I've got to send over some stems for a song and I could have done it last night, but I was just, I just felt like shit. And I didn't want to get out of bed. So I'm going to try and do that today. But that's, that's one of the reasons why the, why the music takes quite a while to finish as well. It's because I just genuinely feel like shit a lot of the time. And that's why the music is such, like a, such a, a cathartic release sometimes because it brings me out of that feeling and helps me see the bigger picture of life and, and what everything's really about. I think when you're stuck in your head 24-7, it, it, you, you sort of build up a reality that isn't actually real. Um, and you tell yourself things unconsciously about what people think about you and, and what you're doing and that you're not good enough. And sometimes you just got to relax and just chill out and, and realize that, you know what, if you have a weak feeling like shit, you know, that's okay. Everything that you experience in life is, um, is money in the bank, good and bad. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in God with, with myself. I don't believe in, in religion, but I believe that if I just let go of my self-will, things will just happen organically and naturally. So whenever I'm going through an episode like I am now, which has been about a week and a half, I'm just, I just need to let go and just let it happen. And then eventually it will, it will pass and I'll get a week or two of feeling great. I mean, it's a really kind of horrible conflict because what gives you music, you know, it's power and it's weight is the fact that it's rooted in this pain and the way that you're able to channel it into this, you know, creative expression. But it's also what then inhibits the creativity when you're trying to be creative and you're in that, that headspace. It's this kind of brutal, horrible, violent push and pull. It's fucking annoying. 
that's what it is. It's like the most fucking annoying thing in the world. Cause it's just like, it's all I want to fucking do. And um, just like you said, it inhibits it. But then it also is the reason why I do it. I guess it's like a yin and yang of just complete fuckery. Yeah, it sucks. It does suck. You know, I could have easily just chosen to um, work in a cafe or something. You know, I've had jobs before this and I never enjoyed any of them. And I don't think many people do enjoy those jobs. With me, it was like, it was kind of like, it was just taxing on my soul. I hated it. It just felt like I was numb. I just felt like I needed to do something creative. So it's like, I signed up for this. I can't be complaining. I don't, I don't complain about music at all. I think it's, it's a, it is a fucking hard job to do when you're in this position, when, when your music is primarily written from pain. That's not a fun job. <laughs> but the opportunities that come with that are, are amazing. And the fact that one day I might be performing at like Reading and Leeds Festival and, and thousands of people might be singing my lyrics back to me. That's like an awesome idea. It's a great, a great feeling to have. And I haven't experienced that yet. So struggles aside, I think it's, it's, um, it's a pretty cool fucking job. You mentioned a while back, but how when you get stuck in your own hand, you can get these patterns of negative thinking that can be difficult to escape. How do you break free from them? And can music play a role in that? Can, can music give you a perspective of yourself that you wouldn't have otherwise that enables you to break free from them? You can't get out of it. Um, you can't force yourself out of it. That's one thing I've realized. You can't force yourself out of it as much as you try. Like you can do little things like going for a run, making your bed, trying to get up early and not go on your phone like I did today. And those do help. The main thing that helps you get out of it is, is, when, is, when, is when it just, it just, it just one day you wake up and it just vanishes. And you're like, oh, thank fucking God. Like, but, you know, I, I used to have like, like, my depression goes back to when I was like 16. I think from the amount of drugs that I did, I think I've really fucked up my chemical balances. I really do. And I, I think that it's just completely um, damaged my, um, my brain. I don't know. It's it's just it just sucks, but it's like it is like it is like a sort of and it and it's it sounds like such a first world problem, but it's not. It's really not because if this affects millions and millions and millions of people worldwide, and I'm learning more about it every day, it's just a black dog, man. Like it just it just comes and goes, and um, I've lived with it for a few years now, and and you know these episodes used to last for months, and I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for months, and the only time I'd leave would be to go to to piss or pick up drugs. I started, when, when I started feeling these feelings, I would self-medicate. And um, eventually that was the thing that kind of came back and bit me in the arse. I got sober and now I'm still left with the same problems that I had before. There's no quick fix to this, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But there are little things that help, even if it's only for an hour or so. It just helps. But you'll still be left with those feelings until it passes. I mean, that chemical imbalance in your brain that you were speaking about, make sense when you think about it in something like the context that we're on you know that's something that's giving you that dopamine hit and it's kind of helping to balance things back out yeah i um running is is the one thing which i can i can do dude sometimes like not gonna lie like i will make it to the end of my road which is 20 meters away and then i'll and then i'll run back like that's the most i can do some days but but like the fact that i've just made that decision to get out of the house and, and run even if it's only for 20 seconds like that's the, the decision to go and do that is the hardest part. The run is fucking hard. Don't get me wrong. Like, I hate running like a 10K. It, it sucks. Once you get to like 5K, you're like, oh my God, I got to do this again. When you get back, you feel amazing. But some days it's very hard. Like exercising when you're going through a depressive episode is fucking brutal. When I got out of treatment, I had a personal trainer for a bit because I needed to get myself into exercise. So I spent a fortune on a personal trainer, um, a f small fortune, for, uh, sorry, a fortune for me. And I just remember going to the gym some days when I was like really down and, and it's like we were lifting weights that were like half of what I could weigh, uh, of, of what I could lift. And, and it was like, the, they felt like the heaviest fucking things in the world. And it was just brutal. But, you know, you push your way through it. And, and some days it, it's okay to just be like, I can't fucking do this today. It, it just, it's, some days it's just really hard, if I'm being honest. Some days are really fucking hard. And um, I think that's why um, some people kind of relate to what I'm talking about in, in my music because they have the same experience. It's a very commonly known thing. And it's like the biggest secret in every family, depression. People don't talk about it. So it's an underlying current of mental illness that no one really talks about in family situations because they'd rather just say that they're not feeling great than, than say that 
they've got um, a serious problem, which can affect you for years and years and years and years. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever not going to be on medication for this. It's just a massive head fuck because you're just like, you're just kind of trapped, you know? It, it makes you appreciate the good days better in, in some ways. It gives you a, a huge perspective over life. But it's just about getting through it when you're in it because, you know, a lot of suicidal thoughts come and stuff like that. So as long as you fight those off and, and you speak to people, you, you, you know, I find myself that I can, I can get through it. I can get through it now. I just thought that, you know, I really appreciate your honesty and your candor and your, your bravery in speaking about these topics and these difficult things in this setting. I know what you're speaking about there in terms of it in a family setting, you know, being this kind of dark secret that people don't speak about. But it does feel like those... But it does feel like that's starting to maybe shift and move a little bit. I mean, like the very fact that I was listening to you on Radio 1 last week, you know, on national radio speaking about these topics, you know, it feels like our generation is looking at them and and approaching them in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed it when um, in my own family, you know, I, my family just thought that I was, um, my, well, my, I live with my mum, you know, my mum's a single mum and I used to live with her and she just thought I was lazy. And I told her for years, like, I feel, I feel different. I don't feel normal. And no one really listened until, until I got re- I got, in, I got into a, um, a really bad cocaine addiction. And that was when people started to so- sort of realize, oh, maybe Harry's a bit weird or, or got a problem. And um, it was only then when I started seeing doctors about it and they were like, yeah, dude, you've got like, uh, you know, major depressive disorder and clinical depression and stuff. I've noticed my my mum's attitude has changed. Like it started, it stopped being from "Come on, get out of bed, get up" to to coming in and being like, "Are you okay?" And that was like the biggest thing for me, which was just like, "Oh my god!" Like my mum's like a really strong Irish woman. She hasn't dealt with like mental illness like this, and she's dealt with a lot of shit in her life, but she hadn't dealt with something where it was just there was no reason behind it. I've noticed like people's people's um, perceptions of me and. And stuff changed changed once they realized that maybe I was fighting something that I couldn't really win. And now I think, yeah, I think in, in, in popular culture it is changing and people are, are talking more about mental health. But there's a difference between just talking about it and then actually doing something for it. So, like, my biggest uh, dream is to, like, music is really cool, but, like, that's different to my end game. My end game is to set up um, a youth project. Um, for kids under the age of 21 to come to, um, to seek help if they've got substance abuse, they've got depression. Um, sort of like a rehab project, I guess, because there are not many rehabs. I don't think there are pretty much any rehabs in the UK that treat young people. The only, the only place that I know of that you can go to is in Holland and it costs like an extortion amount of money. And, not, and obviously no one can really be sent there unless your family has money. I don't know any kids that have 70 grand willing to spend on their mental health. That's sort of like the end game. And I don't know if that's going to happen in five years or 10 years, but that's where, that's where it's heading. But this whole project, the, the, the project has just completely shifted from being, let's make rock music, ha, 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 to, um, you know, let's try and actually impact society in some way. At what point did that kind of shift and that change in perspective occur for you? You know, what you're speaking about, about wanting to take it in a slightly different direction rather than the main goal just being about the music. Only over the last few months when I started talking openly about my experience with, 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 um, with suicide and, and, and drug addiction. That was the, this is the only, only, only time that it shifted. And then I was like, okay, no, I, because, you know, I guess with every artist, you want to find your voice, you know, and that, I, I think that's my voice. It's talking about really, really uncomfortable things that people don't really want to hear. Um, but need to hear it because it's, 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 it's killing so many people. You'd spoken about it in your music, you know, for a few years now. What got you to a point where you could cross the barrier and you didn't just need to speak about it in your music and you could speak about it in a sense like this and you can talk about it in conversations? Uh, I went to rehab. That changed everything. Before rehab, I don't remember the last time I'd even had like a hug from a guy. And like in rehab, fucking everyone hugs each other. Like fucking, like it's insane. Everyone just gives each other hugs all the time. And I was like, this is super weird. Why is everyone hugging me? And then after a while, I just realized, no, people are just being honest and open and, and showing you love. And um, I think since then, I was able to kind of just be honest with myself and open about how I felt and, and what was really going on for me. That just changed everything, the way that I viewed myself and, and the way that I viewed other people. And I stopped being so judgmental of other people. And I think as well, when, when, you, when, you're, you know, when you're an alcoholic or drug addict, like, you know, like I am and, and so many other people that I'm, I'm close to now, if you're in recovery, you know, the whole point of it is honesty. The whole point of it is trying to get better and, and, 
and you know not die <laughs> it's super depressing <laughs> um but yeah so you, you have to be honest you have to be open-minded to kind of get through that for yourself you know i can i can openly speak about anything i want to now and and not be afraid to either like i would never talk about shit like this if it is if this was a year ago I'd, I'd be like i don't want to talk about that i don't want people to think i'm a pussy but like the fact of the matter is, is that i'm that you know the bravest people that i know are the ones that talk about this stuff and you know i go to meetings with big fucking tattooed guys who have been to prison and in and out and they talk about this stuff like it's you know like it's running water they they it, it, it's um it's a very open conversation and, and these guys are in touch with their feelings and they're the most hardcore motherfuckers i've ever met in my life so you know that kind of inspired me to be like no i, I i'm not i'm not a pussy for talking about for, for wanting to help people and wanting to help myself it just changed my perspective on things since you've gone through this shift in perspective have you noticed that then played into your music and impact the way that you communicate in your music in any sense yeah, a lot more honest. Not afraid to say certain things in songs that, that I might have been before. I was always quite elusive with certain lyrics. And now I'm just like going for the most honest approach now. So, you know, I think in, in, in a lot of ways, it's definitely bettered my production, my writing ability. I think I can write better and, and, and a lot more freely now. Now that I'm not on, especially now that I'm not on drugs, because drugs just, um, they made me feel great. But they, they also, um, I couldn't write anything when I was on drugs. I really couldn't. It would have to be in between breaks when I was sober. And that was one of the biggest things for me, which is like, I could write a lot of music before when, when my drug use wasn't as bad, when it was, it was still pretty bad. And I was still doing, you know, a lot drugs every day. But I'd, I'd have glimpses throughout the day when I'd be sober and that's when I'd write a song. But after a while, when I, you know, when it kind of, when my alcohol use ramped up to just every day drinking all day and, and, and you know, cocaine all day, every day, it was, it, then, then it kind of became like a thing of like, one, if I didn't get sober when I did, I would have been dead by now um, because I was actively trying to kill myself. And it was really scary. And my friends and family were like, what the fuck is going on? And um, two, you know, the biggest reason why I got sober was because I wanted to write music because I still wanted to write and I still wanted to be, I still wanted to kind of hear my voice on records because I don't like listening to my voice speak. I don't like um, seeing foes of me and stuff like that because it kind of creeps me out. I guess when you have low self-worth and stuff, it, it, it's quite hard to hear yourself speak. But on records, when I heard myself sing on a record, it was different. It was like I was hearing a different person. And that's kind of like what made me feel happy about myself. And it made me feel proud of myself, which is something I never felt before. So I went into rehab to go to, to, to continue to write music. That was the, the main, the, that was the, and that's not something you should do. You need to go to rehab to get sober for yourself. And that's why when I left rehab, I relapsed and I relapsed again and I relapsed again. And now I'm sober and, and I, I want to stick to being sober now. But um, that was the main inspiration for getting clean was music. So that's why like people say that music saved you know, their lives and stuff. And I think, for people like me, it really did because it was like um, it was the main driving force behind why I'm kind of still here. It's, 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 I know it's really deep and, and, and stuff, but it's, it's, um, it's, just, it's just the fucking truth. And um, someone asked me about that the other day on, on, a, on a Zoom thing. And, and, and I just said, yeah, that's, that, that's, that is actually the reason why. Because um, I just rem I remember fucking thinking like it'd been like three months since I'd written a song and I was going crazy because I was like, why can't I fucking write? Why can't I write? And I was like, oh, well, maybe it's because you're high 24-7 and drunk 24-7. So when I got clean, as soon as I went into treatment, I just, I just brought my guitar with me and I just, I wrote so many songs. I wrote so many songs. And then when I left, I started, I got a new management. My live music situation sort of like changed and everything and everything just changed for the better when I got clean. And then it kind of gave me a bigger perspective on life and what, what I needed to do to one, re remain clean and not fall back into drug addiction, which was writing songs, staying healthy, keeping fit. But even that wasn't enough. Like that's the crazy thing. It's like you do all these things, but that wasn't enough because your mind can use the, when you're an addict, you can use the gym as an addiction. You can use coffee as an addiction. And like it got to the stage where like we'd bought a coffee machine and I was making like 12 coffees a day. And it was just like, it was like I was using it like lines of cocaine or something. It was insane. And my mum would come downstairs and I'd be on my fifth coffee of the morning. She'd be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm fucking great. <laughs> and you know, it kind of just, it went down this like dark spiral of like, 
being a dry drunk essentially where you you you're, you're not using alcohol but you you still feel like you're on a constant hangover and it's because i wasn't doing my like the things which i needed to do which was one getting someone that could help me stay sober like a sort of mentor or something which i have now also connecting with people you know i distanced myself from people i didn't i, I found it hard to speak to people still i think over the last few months it's been like the most important few months of my life really it's it, you know I'd made really good decisions before that, but th this one was like, you know, getting, getting the sponsor that I have now and, 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 um, and committing to sobriety and, and music is, is like the biggest, it's, it's the best decision I've made just because of the fact that even though I'm going through like a pretty shit time right at this moment, like I know it will pass and I haven't given up faith, I haven't given up hope that things will get better. Um, I think if you don't have hope and you don't have faith, you, you're pretty fucked. And that's something I, I didn't have before. Yeah, I was going to say that seems to be the key word here. You know, hope seems to be your fuel. Yeah. At what point did you feel like you gained that sense of hope? I know you're speaking here about, you know, the last few months have been massive for you, like transitionally wise and, and you shift in perspective. Did the hope come in that period? Did it come at the beginning? At what point did it start to emerge? I think I had hope when I, when I left treatment. I started seeing life differently. Um, and that was just hope. That was just faith. You know, I kind of found God in, in treatment and I sort of found myself in the process of that as well. And I think when I have faith and I pray and, and, and um, I have people around me that are in the same program that I'm in and stuff, you know, it kind of just um, restores your, your faith and your hope for humanity in general. If you have hope in yourself, you have hope for other people as well. I do, I do, have, I do have a lot of hope. I do have a lot of hope. It's not easy. There's a lot of fucked up shit going on at the moment. I mean, I, I remember speaking to a therapist I was seeing after I left treatment and he was like, dude, you picked the fucking worst year to get sober. <laughs> because you have, locked, you have lockdown and you have like all these protests which can really be triggering to some people and i i, de I definitely have always had quite bad timing i'm, I'm not uh, surprised that i got sober in 2020 um the year of the global pandemic the first one since the spanish flu in the 20th century but um you know here we are man here we are i mean i think even not just the pandemic though you know the things that it sparked and the social movements and the things that it's revealed are kind of the harder things to deal with. Yeah. Can you deal with that in your music? I know the singles that you've been putting in the last few months have been these very personal things, you know, working through these internal problems, but can you use music as a tool to work through things that you're seeing happening in front of you? These things that are all taking place in this world before us, but impacting all of us individually in a very personal way. Yeah, Prescription Kid is about school shootings. Because when I wrote that song, there was a lot of um, school shootings going on in America. And this was at the stage where it was like 2000 and 2018 or 2019, in 2019 when there were like school shootings like every fucking day. I was just getting really angry about it. So that song is about sort of like a first person account of someone that's mentally ill that wants to buy a gun and go and kill loads of people and kill himself in the process. And I didn't want to write a song which is just like a protest song. Um, I think that's been done so many times before. I wanted to write a song in, in sort of the way that Kurt Cobain does, where, like, you know, on the song like Polly, where he's basically, he is like, a, he's like a rapist or something in Polly. He's basically talking about from a first-person account of a rapist that's, that's kept this girl. It was like a real news story. You know, I fucking love that song. And I didn't realise what it was about until I was older, much older. I just thought, you know, it'd be interesting to do something like that with such a horrific topic as school shootings with that song there's there's two sides of it there's um there's like the the person that actually goes and does it which is the first half of the song someone that's super angry with the world super angry with themselves really mentally ill is addicted to prescription medication and then talks to his girlfriend who's like a bonnie and clyde sort of situation he says let's get a gun bonnie we don't have to live and then the second half of the song is talking about how he's just a prescription kid and this is the other this is like his this is, um, it's almost like a dream state where he actually hasn't done it. And he's just saying, I hate myself and the place that I live. I think that was talking about myself, but that was also talking about other, a bigger issue as well. So that's something that I'm really trying to uh, move into, which is kind of finding my voice in, um, not in politics, because I'm so uneducated, it's a fucking joke. But when it comes to social issues, you know, you could, I, I, don't ever, I don't ever find it useful to write about things when you don't have um, an honest feeling behind them. But when it comes to things that I might, I might see in the news or hear about that really affects me, then, if, you know, if I can write about it, then I'd lo I, I love to. I love to talk about things that actually matter. I mean, I think by using that character as well, like you say, 
it lends that song an aggression that I, th- I don't think the other songs have. You know, it's coming from a different place. It's coming from a different emotional perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just look. I'm the biggest. I'm the biggest Nirvana fan. I just think intelligent writing is 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 my favorite type of writing. There's an amazing song which I've been listening to a lot lately, which, uh, which is called "I'm Going to a Town" by uh, Rufus Wainwright. Great song. Yeah, you know the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's been like sort of my soundtrack for the last few months with the whole shootings that have been going on in America and basically the murders of, you know, a lot of black people. And that song was written years ago and it's still more apparent now than ever. The worst thing that we have to face nowadays is the, uh, the fact that your phone is designed for you and your views. You don't ever get any other news stories. They're always, if you're a liberal, you'll get liberal news stories. If you're right wing, you'll get right wing news stories based on your algorithm of your search history. When it comes to America and, and other, other countries that have, you know, racist or social issues, it's going to be very hard for that to change when everyone has one of these that, we're, that I'm talking on right now. Everything's completely biased towards them. So you, you, it's very hard to have an open mind about things. You have to really read both sides of the stories or, or you're fucked. I mean, I think that's where the left has gone so far to the left. And why the right's gone so far to the right is that we're all stuck in these little self-perpetuating bubbles by everything that's funneled towards us and fed to us is of our views. And it just enhances what you already think and makes it more extreme. Yeah, the left used to be um, socially conscious about how people felt in, in a way that wouldn't affect people negatively. Now it does the complete opposite. Now it just want people to use their language. And if they don't, then they're a, a fascist and a racist and a sexist and a bigot and... It's like, no, no, you're not. You, you're not at all. You're, you're fucking crazy. This is really extreme. And then you've got the old right, which are just basically just absolute racists that are hiding in plain sight and homophobes and real sexists. You know, the people like the, the far left are talking about, those are the people that are like that. But then, but then the problem with the far left as well is that you've got normal people that aren't, don't have those views at all that are caused those things by the by the far left just because they don't necessarily um understand or agree with what the far left is talking about it's it's really fucking dangerous dude like i've been in, in a position before where i'm i'm very liberal-minded but i wouldn't i wouldn't even say that i'm right-wing or left-wing anymore because i don't, I don't know what is i just know that i i'm not a tory politics right now is like it's, it's the most confusing time because of because of social media as well you know, as, as as more and more history has come out to to, to be um, exposed from the Reagan era, from the Nixon era in the United States, and you find out that, you know, I found out that uh, through uh, through documentaries and, and, and reading about it, that, the, that when slavery was abolished, that there's a loophole in the 13th Amendment that can imprison black people to be slaves. And that's why so many black people were imprisoned over the 60s and 70s. It's just, you know, that really fucked me up. I, it's just it's just weird because it's like in a Western civilization you wouldn't think that these things are still happening, but they're just happening in in plain sight. And then you have and then that you know I just I just it's it's just like a really horrible reality that I especially don't really like to even acknowledge because I hate the fact that it's still going on. It's something that that I have no idea on how to change. So I do I do things that I can I can do where it's like signing petitions and donating, which I've done you know fucking pretty much every day for the last i don't know how many months because there's always a new petition every single day there's always um a family to do, to donate even if it's like to one quid which i've been doing um to someone that's been murdered then you find out that when i think when it came to donating to a specific charity or organization after the black lives matter protest that some of that money was actually going to the presidential candidates campaign rally or something it's it's fucking nuts and it's just like, this is like a just cause and you're taking the money for that and putting that into your pocket to try and become president. It's insane. So, I don't know. It's so corrupt, it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't trust the left. You can't trust the right. You can't trust the people in power. So it's like, who the fuck do you trust? You know, it's alienating. It's like, you're, you're stuck. There's no, there's no solution. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's, there's no one that I... I I, I don't even know how to, I, I find it hard to speak to anyone about politics anymore because I just don't, I just don't even understand it. I don't, I don't understand what, what, what is going to happen in the future. I don't, I don't, you know, the main thing for me is just the fact that I, I, I find it hard to ever think that I might bring a child into this world, especially with the way that we're going with climate, with climate control. You know, we're just destroying this earth and, and it's just, um, 
it kind of seems like there's there's in in some ways there's a there's a really good song. There's a lot of songs at the moment, and this is the thing though. All of this stuff ties back into music because all of this anger, all of this craziness, this corruption. The more and more that it's exposed, the better the music and the arts becomes, because people are so fucking angry with it. Because no one gives a shit about the general public in power. No one cares. I I I saw Rolling Stone had their 500 greatest albums the other day, and I, and I I read it. And number one was Marvin Gaye, "What's Going On," and that's my favorite album of all time. That's um that's in my top top three would be Marvin Gaye. You know, and that's that's um that's an album about the Vietnam War, and that's an album about social injustice, black blacks being murdered by white police in America, and that for me was just like a massive sign of like that there is hope in some ways, even if there's no hope for us as people, there's hope for art, there's hope for us to escape into what people are going to create out of this horrific time. So yeah, if 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 you know if I can be any part of that in in any way even if it's just like one song or something, you know, if it's just something that's written from the heart, I can't wait to see what will happen and what will come out. I mean, I think you can feel that in your music as well. If you look at something like, you know, 4AM, for instance, that's a, that's a song that's got a real sense of claustrophobia about it. Mm. It's maybe coming from a different place, but, you know, there's an emotional crossover from, you know, from what we've just been speaking about. It's about being trapped and about feeling stuck. Yeah. I think if I change the topic of that song, it could be very appropriate for right now. Look, I, I, I have no idea what, um, what's going to happen. I just know that as long as I don't hurt anyone and don't be a dick to people, I'm pretty happy with myself, if that makes any sense. I don't, I, as long as I can just continue to just be a good person. You know, it's like Ringo Starr says, man, peace and love. That's all it's about. I hate confrontation. I find it very hard to even like talk about topics like this because it just blows my mind every time I think about it. In some respects, it's not in my nature and a lot of, not in a lot of other people's nature. And I think power changes people and power makes people become horrifically paranoid and, and helps them do very evil things to protect their power. And um, no human being should be given that amount of power. We're not designed for that. It's not in our genetic makeup. Going forward, I'm just going to continue to write music and not run for president like Kanye West. I mean, it's the scale of it, that, you know, like what you're saying there. Just this staggering extent of these problems that's what makes it so hard to to deal with and process and just comprehend yeah completely where do you want to see yourself in five years you know both as a person and and as a musician i mean we've been speaking a lot about the kind of last year and it feels like i think you said like you know the last few months for you have been probably most important in your life transitionally and how far you've come as a person and the kind of level of personal development that's gone on there so where do you want to see yourself in five years, you know? What are your aims? Where do you want to be as a person and, and as a creative? Um, in a musical in a musical sense, I want to sold a lot of records and, and um, toured the world and, and, and done all the stuff that, you know, all my childhood dreams and all that stuff. But I know that that's not what's going to make me truly happy. I think the stuff that will make me truly happy would be, um, I know we're talking about power, but having the actual power to, um, to make a difference with people that are struggling with stuff that I've, I've struggled with. Um, so in five years' time, yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to have the idea in process, um, whether it's a building that would have been, uh, you know, balls or that we're renting from somewhere, and, and actually started up this this team of um, counselors and, and and people that can help these kids. You know, it's, it's five years' time seems quite a while away, but it's not. But it's really, it's, it's not going to be long at all. I know it will, it will pass by very quickly. I, I'd love to have a routine that I I stick to. I know this seems crazy because five years is a, is a very long time to build a routine. But for me, dude, like I, I lost many years of my life to, to drugs. I still feel like I'm sort of picking up the pieces of that. It's very hard for me to stick to stuff. It's very hard for me to stay in routines. I've never learned how to, you know, not on my own free will. I've never learned how to. I've never been disciplined enough um, through myself. So I think if I can be disciplined in five years time, if I can have some sort of self-discipline, minus all the fucking whatever awards shows, or you know, that shit doesn't make any fucking difference to me. Dude, if I can have some fucking self-discipline in five years' time, I'll be a happy bunny. That's all I care about. I just want some self-discipline. And I don't want to do this thing, which I do all the time, where like I'll work out for fucking two weeks and then I'll go into a depressive episode and all I'll eat is like Pizza Hut 
and fucking Papa John's and I will ruin every progress I've made to try and get a fucking six pack back again and again and again to just pizza. I just, I love pizza so fucking much. It's ruined. It's ruined my like workout progress. When I got out of fucking rehab, I started taking like progression pics and you can see on these photos where like I'll have worked out for three weeks and I'm starting to look really good. And then like two weeks later, there's like no pics and you're like, what's going on? And then like a week later, it's like just back to where it was at the beginning again. And you're like, for fuck's sake. So I think if I can just have a fucking six pack in five years time, just to prove to myself that I've got some discipline, I'll be pretty happy with that. I think, um, you know, selling records and all that stuff, you know, dude, I already know just from like the little wins that I'm getting already where if my song's being playlisted and stuff like that, like the first time it happened, it's great. The second time it happened, it doesn't feel as, it doesn't feel the same. It just feels like, Oh, that's cool. So I know that the same thing will happen with other achievements. Like if, if, if I sold like a fucking million albums or something, I know it would feel great to begin with, but then you'd just be chasing that high again and again and again. So for me, it's kind of just more about like the, the smaller things, you know, having self-discipline, having the same friends, uh, friends that, that I love around me and, and having a good relationship with my mom and, and my little sister and stuff, you know, that, that's the shit that really, um, that I, I really sort of care about. I think hopefully in five years time, I'd like to have a girlfriend. I'm doing like celibacy at the moment. So I'm like five months in no sex and it's fucking brutal, man. Um, so it's, I've got seven months to go, bro. Oh, I don't even want to think about it, man. I'm doing this thing with my sponsor. He's like, no sex. You're going you're gonna to wipe yourself clean. So I'm going to be a born-again virgin, hopefully by the time that, that I complete my celibacy. You never know, man. I might, I might be celibate for, for the next fucking five years until my five years comes around and I'm like, oh, I think I'm ready now. You know, that'll be unlikely. I can't, I can't, I can't fucking do that. I think I'd go mad. But yeah. I think if I could find someone who isn't as insane as me or some of my previous girlfriends, not naming any names, um, I might be quite happy. But at the end of the day, I don't even know if I want a girlfriend. I don't know what I want. I just want some self-discipline and not to eat pizza all the time and I should be okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.